Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. All right, let's jump into God's Word today. Uh, I believe I really have a thought uh, that I hope will bring hope and healing, uh, perhaps some encouragement to you here today. Uh, I didn't know I was going to be speaking, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, I received in my email uh, something I get pretty much every day called a one-minute motivation from Stephen Furtick. And one of the ones that I got a couple of weeks ago, it, was, it spoke specifically to me in my situation, and I screenshotted it, and I stuck it in my picture folder, and I have looked at it just about every day uh, since then. And as I began to find out I had to preach today and began to develop what I was going to share, it really kind of came full circle for me with that particular, uh, particular email. And so I want to share with you, I, I won't have, everything I say today won't be original with me, uh, some of it... <laughs> Uh, comes from that email uh, that I received, but it ministered to me so much, and so I hope it will minister to you as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 21. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, open there, or you can follow along on the screen. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Taking my thought from verse 22, if we'll return there, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never, everybody say never, never, happen to you. And that's what I want to preach to you today. From one, just one simple word, never, never. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. I thank you for the opportunity to experience and know you. I thank you, Lord, that in this house today, I have no doubt there are people that are here that are hurting, have come into the presence of God seeking hope, seeking help. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, that you are a God who hears our prayer and responds to our need. And today, God, there are people here who've come in faith believing that you would help them. And so today, God, we surrender this moment to you to do exactly that. Work in our lives today, oh God, to touch the people that are in this room. And we're going to see you do great things in our midst. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Now, before I jump into this particular passage that I read to you, I want to share with you the backstory. Uh, the context of the passage that we're reading from Matthew today. So G Jesus and his disciples had arrived in a region known as Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you were to study a little about that region, it's really interesting. The region was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was the location of one of the largest springs that fed the Jordan River. The abundant water supply had made that particular region very rich and fertile and very attractive for religious worship. Uh, temples throughout history had been constructed in Caesarea Philippi to all manner of gods. In the Old Testament, this was an area of the worship of Baal, uh, which if you read the Old Testament, you find Baal worship throughout the Old Testament. 
Uh, during the Greeks' occupation of the region, there was a temple dedicated to the worship of the Greek god Pan. Archaeologists have found temples and statues to a pantheon of Greek and Roman gods and goddesses in this region known as Caesarea Philippi. So why does that matter? Well, I just think it's a really cool backdrop for what Jesus was about to reveal in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, if you can imagine, they arrive at this place that is dedicated to all sorts of, uh, of gods and goddesses that are worshipped for all sorts of reasons. And they arrive there and Jesus asked, his, asked this question of his disciples. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man, referring to himself, is? And different disciples spoke up said, some say you're John the Baptist, returned from the grave. Others say you're Elijah. Still others say you're Jeremiah. We've also heard you might be one of the other prophets that's already dead. And then Jesus, he asked the question, he says, well, what about y'all? And yes, Jesus said y'all. I know that bothers some of you that I use incorrect grammar, but Jesus said it. He said, what about y'all? Who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks up and, and Peter's just that guy. He's the guy in the class that always shoots up his hand, may not have a clue what he's talking about, but he's always got something to say. And he's that guy in your small group that sometimes you wish wouldn't show up because he's always going to talk over everybody else. He's loud. He's a little obnoxious. You let him speak first so the teacher can tell him how wrong he is and you won't get in trouble for being wrong too, right? Well, this time Peter's not wrong. I don't know if he cheated off of somebody else's paper. I don't know, but he wasn't wrong. Simon Peter answers. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what I think is fascinating that at a location, Caesarea Philippi, that is dedicated to worship of all these other gods, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus declares to him, he says, blessed are you, Simon, Son of Jonah, for you gave an answer that definitely did not come from you, but rather came straight from my Father who is in heaven. And then he declares, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And as a child, I always struggled with that scripture. Like, what's he talking about? I mean, is he going around with chains, binding up stuff and loosening stuff? But as I've grown to an adulthood, I realized that, in other words, what he's saying is, Peter, all of heaven's got your back. I give you authority to step out in faith, and we, the citizens of heaven, will back you up. That's ultimately what he's saying. Whatever you try to accomplish here on earth, heaven has got your back. I'm thankful to know that today, aren't you? I'm thankful to know that heaven's got my back, that God is on my side, that he is with me and he is for me. Can you say amen? amen. So I love that, that God begins his statement this time with Peter and he says, thou art Peter and upon this rock I'm going to build. I think Jesus saw potential in Peter that nobody else saw. The reason I know that is because he calls him a rock and Peter was pretty unstable to be considered a rock, especially one you were going to build on. It almost seems as if Jesus is appraising Peter, not based on his performance, but based on his potential. For instance, if I were to take your phone from you today and you were to give me your four-digit pin number so that I could access it, I still could not use your phone to its full potential because it's not my phone. 
I didn't know where you store everything at on your phone. They are your contacts, not mine. And I could have some fun with your contacts. I could send out some messages and call people late at night at 2 in the morning and they think it's you and, you know, hang up on them. And, but I couldn't truly use your phone to its full capacity until I had it long enough to have it in my possession enough to make it my own. The one who has possession of a thing has a unique perspective on the potential of the thing. In other words, if it belongs to me, I understand what its potential can be because it's in my hands, right? In the same way, I believe that God knows things about you and your potential that your mom doesn't know, that your dad doesn't know, that your best friend doesn't know, that your husband doesn't know, that your wife doesn't know, that your pastor doesn't know. God knows things about your potential that even at your greatest moments of triumph, you can only begin to imagine what God sees when he sees you. And I believe he speaks and dreams into your life from time to time, not from the viewpoint of your performance, but rather from the vantage point of your potential. And I'm so thankful that God sees our potential when others would hold us back. To hold you down or to pin you with all the mistakes and failures of your past to remind you of all your shortcomings. But the God who knows the beginning from the end looks beyond your fallings and your failings and your shortcomings and he declares what your potential in him can be. So Jesus calls Peter a rock even though at this moment he's still pretty unstable. And the reason I know he's unstable is because of the passage that I just read to you this morning that comes directly behind him calling him a rock that he's going to build a church on. No sooner has Peter received his performance trophy for declaring Jesus to be the son of God that we find him receiving one of Jesus' strongest rebukes in all the Bible, which is the text I read to you earlier. It's almost hard to believe that he could go from this moment in God where he is so high to one that is so low so quickly. From so faith-filled and so accurate of a description of Jesus to make a statement that completely contradicts the purpose of Christ coming to earth to begin with. And that alone this morning would probably give me some hope. I hope it gives you some hope. Because some of us many times have vacillated even this morning in our faith. You were a different person in the car on the way here than you were when we were up here singing, Jesus be the center of my life. You can go ahead and laugh because you know it's true. If you don't laugh, your kid sitting beside you or your husband will. You know what I'm talking about. Many of us from moment to moment have the greatest potential for power and purpose to the greatest failure of pain and, and failure and the potential for that. From one moment to the next, we can go from being full of faith to full of doubt all in the same moment. And Peter demonstrates it in the text that I read today right after he hears this amazing declaration about him and receiving keys and being given authority. I don't know if Peter thought, you know what, I think I'm going to try out my authority. Or if he was feeling, as my mom used to say, too big for his britches. Whatever it was, as Jesus began to tell them of the times that were coming, when he was going to face persecution and how he would suffer and die at the hands of those in authority, but he would rise again on the third day, 
Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to reprimand Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. I'm not sure it's ever a good idea to explain to the God of the universe how his plan is wrong and your plan is right, but that's kind of what he does. Watch what Peter says next because this is really the crux of my message today. He says, Matthew 16, 22, he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. The word for never is a really strong, emphatic word. In Greek, it's ome, and it's not even a word that we can say in English and be grammatically correct. It's so emphatic that it's what we call a double negative. When he says it, it really means never, no, never. Which actually is probably a triple negative now that I think about it. <clears throat> it's so emphatic, Peter is declaring that he knows the will of God better than God himself. And as Jesus prophesies to them about his future, Peter thinks he knows better and declares never, no, never. That's not happening. No, never, no, never. And maybe you can join me this morning in having a little confession time. Is that all right? We okay to have confession time? I've probably been that way at some points in my life too. I think I was that way about raising my kids until I had some. I will never be that kind of parent. Standing in the grocery store yelling at your kids. Never. Oh, I would never discipline my kids from a place of anger. After all, I want them to have a good relationship with their heavenly father. And what kind of example would I be if I caused them to fear because of my angry discipline? I will always correct them from a posture of love. I will never raise my voice. I would never. Till I had them two little boogers. Made me so mad, I practically wrecked the minivan to exercise my God-given responsibility to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Somebody say never. I would encourage you to be careful of those absolute words like always and never. They might come back to bite you. I would never. We can all get sometimes this weird sense of false confidence and life will rise up and challenge your concept of never. In a room this size this morning, I'm well aware that there are people here today who find themselves in situations right now that you never thought you'd be in. Other people's marriages may fall apart, but my marriage, never. We will wash one another's feet in the name of our risen savior. I would never talk to my husband that way. Never, never. I'd never struggle with that. I don't know how somebody could get hooked on something like that. I just don't get people like that. I would never struggle with depression. I've got the joy of the Lord. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, Pastor Rodney. It says always in all circumstances. Give thanks in all things. All means all. I will rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I don't understand people. I would never. Until something happens in your life that knocks you off balance. Be careful what you judge me for today. It might be knocking on your door tomorrow. 
I never could understand how people could get addicted to painkillers until I had three surgeries on my ankle in one year, two in a matter of a week. And suddenly I'm watching the clock for every four hours to get my next pain pill because the pain was so excruciating and I needed to find some way to dull it down. And when I realized how dependent I was getting on it, for the next five days I suffered through trying to detox my body and get it out of my system. And that process was worse than the feeling of needing the pill and probably would have felt better if I just went ahead and took a pill. It would have been easier just to keep on. So now I have a newfound appreciation for those who struggle with addiction. Be careful of how you approach people in their pain, in their struggle, because every struggle, every temptation, the Bible says, is common to man. We all are in the middle of this together. We all got stuff. And if you don't believe you got stuff, you're probably in the wrong room today because we all got stuff. We are all susceptible to the struggle. So be careful when you say, I'd never. Because the truth is, you don't know what you do until you actually have to do it. I never thought I'd be the one dealing with anxiety, but now I'm losing sleep and I'm overwhelmed and I can't catch my breath. I'll never think thoughts like that. I'll never make those kind of financial decisions. I'll never let my kids do that. I'll never, 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 no, never. You know, Peter said that a few other times too. Jesus in the upper room tells his disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to die and just wanted to let y'all know that this very night, all of y'all will probably walk away from me at some point or another, but don't worry about it. I'm gonna go to Galilee after three days. I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna meet you in Galilee. I'll catch up with you there. And then you can read it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Peter again starts shooting off his mouth. He replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus like, Peter, I got bad news, Bubba. I'm telling you that before the rooster crows three times in the morning or twice in the morning, you will have denied me three different times. You think he would have learned, but not Peter. He doubles down. Verse 35, Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then all the disciples said, well, Peter's got his mouth out there. I guess we'll go ahead and say the same thing. And before the night was over, all but John had walked away. And John was kind of hiding in the corner just hoping nobody would notice him. <clears throat> if you take a look at Peter and his life, he eventually learns the lesson. With the help of the Holy Spirit and a whole lot of hard knocks, he eventually learns. But at this point, he still can't acknowledge that sometimes his faith was a little shaky. And maybe you're like that. On the outside, you're constantly full of faith and bluster. You'll never admit that sometimes you struggle, that sometimes you question, that sometimes you perish the thought, have doubts. I heard one man say that the acknowledgement of doubt is many times the beginning of genuine faith. My questions don't mean I don't have faith. The fact that I have anxiety doesn't negate the fact that I still believe God is able. My doubts don't mean that I don't still trust God. They just mean I'm human and I'm not perfect and I'm still working on some stuff. And sometimes I have real fears and I know that God has not given us a spirit of fear and I know that perfect love casts out fear and I know that God's word is true and everything else is a liar, but Lord, right now I'm facing some real stuff, stuff I never thought I'd face. And Lord, I've got real concerns and I've got real worries. I still believe you, I still trust you, but like the father in scripture who had the sick child, 
who said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Most of us, if we would be honest this morning, are caught somewhere in the middle of believing and struggling with ribbons of unbelief, right? We wouldn't say we completely don't believe, but there are moments where our belief is challenged. Most of us, most who struggle to acknowledge their weaknesses are generally most likely to fall for it over and over and over again. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. So many times I think the reason we continue to struggle over and over and over again is we aren't willing to acknowledge that I don't have it all together. That sometimes I hurt. That sometimes I'm struggling. Sometimes I got real pain. Sometimes I need help. Maybe today my message isn't for everybody. Maybe it's only for one person today, but whoever it's for, if you find yourself struggling with something you never thought you'd struggle with, today I'm preaching for you. You watched other people struggle with it. You even prayed for other people who were going through it, but you never thought you'd find yourself there. But here you are. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation you swore you'd never be in? that you never imagined you could get into? What do you do when all the nevers that you proclaimed are now coming home to roost and you find yourself staring down the barrel of real life, real struggle, real pain, real hurts, real addiction, real panic, real depression, real, real, real? Oh, you can continue to declare, I would never, or you can get honest and get real. See, you can put up your false front, act to the outside world that you don't have any struggles, you don't have any doubts, that you don't have any wavering in your faith. You can run around, you can play the role of the Christian, perfect Christian parrot, saying all the right things, quoting all the right scriptures at the right time, acting as if you'd never question, doubt, fear, or lose heart. Or you can be real. See, you can't experience God's ability to help you until you first acknowledge that you need it. You can't experience God's ability to provide until you've acknowledged that you have a need. You can't experience God's healing as long as you won't admit that you're sick. You can't experience God's ability to restore as long as you won't admit you don't have it all together. You can't experience God's ability to deliver as long as you won't acknowledge that you're bound. You can't experience God's peace until you can acknowledge that you are in turmoil. Some of you today have given up hope because you were willing to listen to someone else's never over your life. Maybe you heard, you'll never be successful. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be free from this. You'll never be happy like you think they are. You'll never get free from this. Your mom wasn't free, her mom wasn't free, her mom wasn't free. Why do you think you're gonna be free? You're never going to connect with anybody at that church. You will never going to experience love again. You will never heal from this. You will never recover from that fall. You'll never rebuild your reputation. You will never see your way clear. You will never fulfill God's plan for you. Never, never, never. But today I'm here to declare that God speaks a different never over your life. I want to show you a different never. It's the same Greek word, ome. Still emphatic, and it still means never, no, never. But it's not from the mouth of Peter. This one is from the mouth of God. And it's found in Hebrews 13 and 5. 
where it literally says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hear me today. After you've been through the darkest season of your life and survived the worst possible assault on your faith, after people have left you and circumstances have drained you of your energy, there, is, there, there, there remains a promise from the word of God, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When will God withdraw his love from you? Never. No, never. When will God change his mind about you? Never. No, never. Will God walk away and give up on his plans that he made for your life? Never. No, never. When God says never, he means never. People may change their mind about my potential, but he never will. And as I move toward closing today, if the worship team would come, some of you are in this room today, and if I, if I, if I know my crowd and my, my, my people at all, I know that there are people here who are in pain. Emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain. You're in pain. I'm in pain. And that pain may have come from people you know, people you don't know. You might have caused the pain or it might have been inflicted upon you from somebody else. But the pain is real. And the pain is causing you to distrust and to have a hard time to have hope. And you've wondered, particularly if you've seen other people and their testimonies of God's ability lived out if God has forgotten about you. I've done that. I've prayed with people in this altar for healing and wondered why God wasn't healing me. I've, I've baptized people washing their sins away and the whole time feeling guilty over things in my past that I'm struggling to release to God. I've prayed for things to happen in my home, blessings to come into my home. They haven't come, but I've prayed for other people and I've seen God pour out blessing and anointing on their life. It'd be easy to be like, God, have you forgotten about me? Perhaps I've alienated God by doubting or not having enough faith. And I'm just going to tell you now, if anybody's ever told you the reason you haven't gotten your request answered is because you didn't have enough faith, let me know. I want to punch him right in the face. Or maybe you haven't prayed long enough. No, no, no. Let me just punch them right in the face. Making too many mistakes. Maybe I've made too many mistakes, God, and you, you don't want to help me. I know you felt the sting of never as others saw your condition and thought, well, I'd never do it that way. I know you felt the curse of never as maybe you even thought, I will never be good enough or I'll never be happy again or I will never, you fill in the blank. But today, I just want to remind you that there is another never. It's the one I want you to take home with you today. Because I believe today Jesus is looking across this crowd and he's going, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're hiding. I don't care what you got underneath the surface. I don't care how many doubts you have. I don't care how many questions you have. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Others may, but never. No, never. Others may turn their back, but never, no, never, never will I leave you. Never 
will I walk away from you. Never will I forsake you. All over this house, if you'd stand with me today. I'm going to open this altar in just a moment. They're going to sing. Uh, go back to the song, Reckless Love. And one thing I know about God is that his love pursues me, certainly when I don't deserve it. It never leaves me. It's always there for me. And today, I want to open this altar. If you'd like to come for prayer, you're more than welcome to do that. But whether you come up here or you stay in the far back corner, he still declares, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You may walk away from me, but I will never walk away from you. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you, God, that right now in this room, I know there are people that are in the throes of decision, struggling, God, with the pain and the hurt that they feel in their heart and the, the struggles of, of depression or or heartache or family issues and drama and physical pain that they may be going through, even spiritual confusion sometimes, God. I know that all of the things that we go through in life, we all go through them, but it doesn't make the one that we're going through right now any more or less real for us. And Father, right now, I pray that all over this room, God, your presence would come and touch our hearts and our minds, that you would Open yourself up today, Lord Jesus, in a way that people recognize, God, that you are with them and you are for them and you will never leave them. You are there in the greatest and the worst moments of their life to be there for them then, just as you are with them in the greatest moments of their life. Today, God, I pray that people would realize, as Paul did, when he said, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Tribulation distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, nothing. Knowing all of those things, we're more than conquerors through you. And I'm persuaded because of that, that nothing, death, life, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other creature won't be able to separate me from the love of Christ, which is in Jesus. And today, God, I want to experience that love in a real and tangible way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I'm going to open this altar as they begin to sing today. And if you'd like to come, like I said, whether you're in the back or the front, it doesn't matter to me. God's love is not going to leave you. But if you'd like to come today, this altar is open for you.
today. And I love the Apostle Peter. He's uh, one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And he is a character. He'd be the guy most likely to be arrested in a bar fight. He'd be the guy most likely to send somebody to the hospital. I mean, he sliced off a dude's ear at one point. I mean, he, he, was, he was a rough guy. 
But what I love about him is Jesus looked past all of the rough exterior. He looked past all of the failings and shortcomings and he looked at his potential. And when he saw Peter, he saw the potential of someone who could rise above all his mistakes, could rise above all his shortcomings and become an amazing carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before he got there, I want you to notice what Jesus has to do to pursue him. After Jesus dies, Peter had failed miserably, denied he knew the Lord. The Bible talks about how Peter even went so far as to, he went back and got his boat out of the dry dock and got his nets back out and started fishing again for a living. And one day he's been out fishing and he's fished all night and he didn't catch any fish, which probably is a sign that that's not the best choice of career path. But he looks out on the shore and he sees a figure coming in the distance. Figure gets there before Peter gets to shore and he says, hey, y'all got any meat? Peter doesn't know it's Jesus, but Jesus sure does know it's Peter. And Peter's like, no, we fished all night. We didn't catch nothing. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you take those nets and cast them on the other side? Now, I'm not, a, I'm not the smartest guy in the room all the time, but I don't think you have to be too smart if you're Peter to recognize very quickly that there's something different about that guy who's talking to me on the shore. Because this happened to me one other time in my life and I pulled up quite the draw to fish and then I spent the next three and a half years following that guy around. Because Jesus is the only one who ever asked me to go and try again where I failed once before. And so today, I just want to encourage somebody in here. Maybe you look at your life and you feel like, I didn't live up to potential. I haven't lived up to what God could have done for me. I haven't done with the blessings on my life that I could have. I just want you to know Jesus doesn't give up. He pursues. He continues to come after you. And he'll probably ask you to do one more time what you've already done before. And when you do it, you're going to get the success of the power of God on your life that you never thought possible because he pursues us, he chases after us, he doesn't give up on us, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. If you've been here long enough, you know I like to close things out with really kind of a declaration moment. And so I'd like to do that today. If you trust me, I just want you to repeat after me some things that we're gonna declare over God's presence in our life today. Is that all right? Father, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you have the promise of your word that says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Today, as I leave here, it is settled. God is for me. God is with me. God will never leave me. In spite of my past, in spite of the circumstances in my life, in spite of decisions I've made, in spite of struggles I'm in right now, in spite of pain, in spite of hurt, in spite of the things that have been said to me, I surrender to you. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. I surrender it all to you right now in Jesus' name.
Why don't we thank him right now all over this house? We thank you. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you, Jesus. There's none like you, oh God. We give you glory and honor and praise. We magnify and thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Amen, amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for coming and celebrating Jesus with us here at Life Church. I pray that God's blessings will be on you this week. You'll have an awesome week in the presence of the Lord, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. God bless you.